Welcome to This Osteopathic Life. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey. I'm honored to share with you the philosophy that has underscored my personal and professional life and explore how osteopathy truly is for the health of all things. I see these principles in action every day in my varied roles as physician, parent, athlete, writer, musician, coach, and entrepreneur, and hope they will light the way for the path to your best health. Please note that while I am a physician, this podcast is intended to share general information and encourage discussion about medicine, health, and related subjects. The content provided in this podcast and in any linked materials is not intended and should not be construed as medical advice. Thank you for joining me for episode 26 of season three of This Osteopathic Life. Getting back on track with the weekly rhythm, the 26th episode, it's a fascinating number, particularly in this month, as I look at how we expect things to be and what patterns emerge and how quite often things emerge precisely as they were meant to. We could even say always if we so chose, but we'll leave space for there to be exceptions to the rules. Today, I'd like to talk about yeses and nos. And as I say that, I can't help but hear in my head the X's and O's song. So if that comes up for you by L King, you can have that running in your head as we're speaking, listening, conversing here today. Yeses and no's has come up for me a number of different times and ways in this past week. I actually shared a conversation by email with a friend on this concept, and I'm seeing it emerge over and over and over again in different arenas of my life. And I view it as an invitation to get clearer on what it is I want to be doing, what it is I need to be doing, what it is I'm meant to be doing, what it is I choose to be doing. And you have likely heard some iteration of the quote, right? Saying yes to something is saying no to something else. And I looked it up to appropriately attribute it to an author, and I found many, many with different iterations of it. There was Dan Millman, there's Crystal Payne, there was Sean Covey, and I'm sure if I continued to look, there would be many other options as well. And thinking about that as a concept and reviewing some of the challenges to different teachings I've had in the last week in some of my courses about being in the present moment, I just sat with it for a while and I thought about that. And I thought about my theme in my own life, my never one thing concept would indicate a lot of yeses, a lot of simultaneous yeses, a lot of parallel or at least integrated or very short intervals between taking turns, yeses. And if I reflect on my own life, my own experience, that does seem to be the trend. I am a yes person. And for a long time, and in many ways, that's seen as a good thing, as a badge of honor even. The person who will say yes, who'll be there, who'll be up for anything who's willing to help, and there is that space between and that space after, that space around all of those yeses, when we can enter into an unsustainable place, when we may have invested and engaged with and agreed to many yeses, and perhaps we can't keep up with them. Now, even just saying that right now, there can be that sense of, failure of inadequacy. What do you mean I can't keep up? I should be able to do all of the things. And what I'm beginning to perhaps realize or perhaps accept, perhaps come to term with, 
perhaps be willing to consider all those different stages and ways of being is that there are some limits and that a no can be of benefit to many people, myself included and perhaps myself foremost. And so thinking about that, what were some of the ways this came up more recently? Well, I'll share with you an experience I had in the musical realm. And I think about that as I read the opening. I still read it. I do mostly have it memorized, but I still pull it up for backup when I open the podcast. And I read it new each time because I want to feel it each time. And if it's meant to change, I want to be in there and be willing to change it. But in any case, as I look at that list, right, varied roles as physician, parent, athlete, writer, musician, coach, and entrepreneur, I can actually see the yeses and nos come up in each of those and also between them, among them. Because if I look at them and if I picture the font growing for the things to which I have paid my attention to those which have been prioritized, that I have committed more of my time, energy, effort toward, right? A number of them come through, but some of them fade and they become a smaller font or they're not quite as bold. And it's interesting to see that. And I see just going through the list, physician has had more no's in the traditional way of positioning. And notice that I want to give you some justification for it. or I want to give me some justification for it, but it has been less to the forefront. I'm not actively in a clinical practice right now. I've been investigating some different options, but right now that is not one that is taking up more of the yes space. Parent has been growing. There's been more ways of interacting and engaging recently, particularly with my oldest son. And I've read and communicated, and if you didn't catch my most recent conversations episode, I encourage you to do so. The teenage years kind of come around to being this full circle space where there is need for opportunity if we are able to engage more. You think about the toddler and the teenage years of when we might be able to really strengthen and build relationships and experience. So parenting has felt bolder. Writer has felt very non-bold. There have been a lot of no's and again, less intentional no's, but by way of where time has shifted and where attention has gone. Musician, and that's one I'm going to tell you a little bit more specifically about, so I'll get to that in detail. Coach, right? My coach self in the way of coaching professionals has really increased. I have multiple programs going and I have one-on-one clients with whom I work and I'm in coach training and continue to expand that skill set. Coaching from the athlete perspective, because I still hear that, has continued, perhaps on a smaller scale, and I'm not currently actively coaching any of my children's teams. And actually yesterday, out on the soccer field, after practice for my daughter, we were kicking the ball, and I realized, right, this has been quite some time since I coached that U6 soccer team. And for a number of years, probably at least six back to back as I had my own children going through that progression, I was pretty consistently coaching there. And I'm not coaching the running team right now. But I did get the opportunity this week, interesting how life offers those opportunities to substitute and serve as a backup coach in a couple settings. And actually, that was quite lovely. And there's a space where I said no, right, intentionally. I didn't coach for various reasons, scheduling and to also give my children the experience of not being coached by me. I think there's benefits to both in that way. And there were some gentle invitations to participate 
in smaller doses. And that felt really good. So sometimes when we say no, a different yes comes through in a more effective way. Entrepreneur. That one has been pretty expansive and that one is holding a lot of potential. And I want to say a lot of temptation to a whole bunch of yeses. And I'm looking at it and I can see my instinct to say yes to so many different things in that space. And I'm pausing And I'm also seeing that in saying yes to some of them would actually diminish the entrepreneurial space for me because it would mean going in to work with someone, some organization in a more structured way, which it wouldn't necessarily totally squash the entrepreneurial spirit, but it would definitely shift it significantly. And actually, I have a session with my own coach tomorrow, and this is what I'm going to bring forward is... It's kind of like the deck of cards. Choose an option, any option. And I like to look at those and see what that tendency is to want to do them all because they all sound fantastic. And so just looking at that, right? So where the lights go dimmer and where they come in, when we are saying yes to some things and no to others, and which perhaps we want to practice. Some of us might, like me, be prone to the yes, right? Almost that leap before you look and just say, yeah, let's figure it out and go. And there can be lots of benefits to that. And right. Some detractors. Some of us might be strong nose at the forefront, right? Block everything. Just assume it's not going to work or to know I need a strong boundary here. And that can be fantastic. And it could also be a limiter for you and limits as we have found, right? Boundaries can absolutely create freedom. And so when we say limits, We're not saying that in a negative or judgmental way, just in an observational way of noticing. So let's talk about the musician piece. So I have played cello since third grade, and I was fortunate to be in a space in the public school system in Saginaw, Michigan at the time, where it was offered as a part of the school experience in the after school hours, but it was right at the school. They facilitated the renting of the instrument. The teachers were provided. Your classmates joined you. And it was accessible. And I really do believe that was the reason I was able to participate in music, that low threshold level of entry. And when I began, I began playing violin. I can't 100% say why. Maybe it seemed like the more common or friendly instrument to play. But within the first couple of weeks, there were many violins and very few cello who were playing. And I thought, well, let's make it more equitable let's switch and I'll swap and play cello. And I remember having to go through a little bit of a dialogue with my parents because I had committed to this thing. But again, it wasn't leaving the playing of music. It was switching in order to more effectively contribute to the community. And so very early on, I swapped. It was was a very short amount of time that I actually played the violin. And it was a great move. And I don't know. I don't know what would happen had I continued to play violin in that time. But I can see how much playing the cello was a key and core part of my identity. And it very much fit with my personality to be the foundation, to hold the rhythm of the piece, to have these occasional moments. You'd have this beautiful cello line and many of the times be in the background, but be an integral part of the structure. And I loved all the different formats of playing. I loved quartets, most of all. Small chamber groups still remain my most favorite in which I play. And I really planned to make music a big part of my life, and it was. It was a huge part of my life all the way through high school 
And in college, and I probably have shared this on previous episodes, I planned to be a music major and I got to sight singing in the first week and they asked me to sing a C sharp. Right? And I remember it like it was yesterday. And I thought, what? I could play you one. I could show you one on the staff. You want me just to sing it? And to be honest, I kind of chickened out. Right? And I thought, this is too much. Let me just play music. Right? I just want to play the music. And I swapped and I removed myself from the music major and just continued in the ensembles, including the orchestra, which I loved, and the cello ensemble, which was one of my most favorite spaces as well. Now, were I to have the what I know now and speak to that 18-year-old self, I would say, just take your time, right? Get the music major, maybe take it a little slower, <clears throat> and all credit to my music major friends, because each of those classes is one credit, and they are definitely more than one credit of work, and the music major students never left the music building. They were practicing, and they were in all the different ensembles and learning different instruments, and I 100% admire them, and I still hold on to this dream that I will reclaim bit by bit, credit by credit, sight singing by sight singing, a music degree at some point, and letting that be what it is. In any case, there was a bit of a stall in my musicianship in the medical school time. And now this wasn't because it wasn't accessible. There were options. In England, there was an option. My then boyfriend, now husband, rented me a cello, and I just didn't play it when I was there. And then in medical school, just dropped off the priority list. Right? I was saying yes more fully to studying in a new way at that time. And I used my physical outlet as stress management. And so my yes to music was no longer in that interval. But it still remained. It was still a key and core part of who I was. And I would bring it back periodically. I found different groups to play with and or practice on my own. And my children, when they became kind of age eligible to play, I started to rekindle that spirit. And when I arrived in Ashland, there was a local group and I joined them and they made the suggestion that I audition for the local symphony. And it had been a long standing dream of mine to play with the professional symphony. Also a dream, and I put it out there, if I say it out loud here, maybe it will help me to play the wood song with the Inigo Girls sometime. I have done that virtually. And to reclaim that music degree, but those still remain in that eventual yes category. And so I did, and it was terrifying, auditioning. And I earned a trial spot, and I played, and I really enjoyed it. It did feel like a bringing through this part of myself that had been dormant for a while. And I appreciated the opportunity, and the cello section and the director was fantastic. Some of the pieces were quite challenging. And scheduling, time commitments... Just didn't work out where I could play with them regularly. And then, of course, we returned back to Michigan. And as I look back on it, there are very much things I enjoyed. And there are parts of it that were quite stressful. And I think about, right, we can do hard things. And sometimes we take up that challenge. And I can see where I want music to be more of a fun and ease-filled space in my life right now. If I move toward the reclaiming of that music degree, perhaps there's room for that. But right now, that's what I'm seeking, to simply play music, play the cello, be in ensemble with people. And so it happens that there's a local group here in Northwest Michigan, and it also happens that my stand partner from college happens to live here as well and is a principal cellist there, even better. And so I was planning to join them this fall, and the first session I had a prior commitment, and as I set forth to head toward the second rehearsal, 
it was noted that there are a dozen, right, 12 cellists playing with this group. And even if there were many, many, many violinists, it would take a whole bunch to even out that balance. And as I thought about it, and it's interesting here how I see the echoes of that original time in music for me, I thought, well, I probably don't need another cellist. And I have been playing some violin as my daughter has been learning violin. I've been playing with her. And so maybe it would be fun right, to come full circle, to bring the violin back and to try my hand in that way, contributing to the balance in the community and taking on something new. And it sounded like a great idea. I also thought this would be great for my brain. I will you know, learn to read music and treble clef and I'll stretch and I'll grow and it'll be a welcome challenge. And so I took the week to practice. And I will say, I didn't practice as much as I thought, but I was also stymied by how challenging reading in treble clef and having an E string and switching the position. And I realized I'm relatively reasonable at the violin, playing by ear with a beginner string student and covering it that way. But I'm not right near proficiency with reading this music, translating it and sitting in a collective with experienced musicians. And I sat with this for the better part of the week, wondering what I should do. And the director contacted me and was very gracious throughout with whatever option was available, was open to the idea. And what I realized was I had lost sight of the reason for which I had investigated this group in the first place. And that was joy, ease, fun, and music which is a much more accessible state of being as an experienced cellist than as a novice violinist. And I'm not saying again that the opportunity to play violin with them is totally off the table, but it's not for right now. It required a no of me. And I went through all different iterations of it, thinking you should be able to do this, right? And suck it up, figure it out, practice harder. And then I thought, wait, remember why you said yes to this in the first place it was for, for the joy, ease, and fun. And absolutely, they would likely welcome me to play the cello there and simply maybe play a little quieter to help balance it out. And at the same time, I think it's also okay to simply pause on this session. And in the greatness of universal wisdom, perhaps that was also the invitation, was not this one more thing right now. Perhaps in the next session, perhaps in the next year. And also, Perhaps a cello ensemble will emerge from this, seeing that interest and that passion and that volume in the cellists locally, maybe that will come through. And that would be quite lovely because as I shared, those unique different iterations of chamber groups are my most favorite. So that no may open up a yes to something else that feels more aligned. And who knows, beginning to incorporate the violin in a different way may put me on that trajectory toward that music degree but it's different to do so independently than to feel the pressures, right? And those are assumed, feeling pressured. because something I don't want to let people down. I don't want to mess this up. Right? I don't want to be out of sync with the group. I don't want to take my novice skill set into this space. Those are all my thoughts about it. But also recognizing I'm choosing ease right now. My yes is to ease. This doesn't line up with that. And so it's a no. And actually, it was a very gracious receipt of that no from the director and as soon as I wrote it, it made so much sense. There's a lot of relief around it. So then let's look at what a yes was recently. 
a yes that teetered on the edge of no for a while. So I have raced triathlon for the better part of my adult life. My first race was back in 2002, and for a good solid 15 years, I raced pretty regularly at a relatively high level for an age group triathlete. And it began to dwindle or taper when we moved out to Oregon. The water access was less plentiful. Races weren't quite as frequent. And we began to shift toward CrossFit training, which again, was a welcome shift. And it was a version of right, saying yes to this different type of training and saying no to triathlon in the same way that it had been experienced previously. And so on returning to Michigan... There are more races. I've returned to the space where the water is and where races are. And I've had some hesitation because I had this identity right, as a relatively competitive age group triathlete. And would I want to step into races not necessarily being able to live up to that same potential? And that's all on me. Right? No one else is expecting that of me, but that's my dealing with it. And so the answer thus far has been no. And some of it has been a variety of different injuries, we had the knee injury that precluded some running. We had the ab injury, right, which shifted my training a couple of years ago. And then this year, the lower back disc injury. And so there has been a decrease in the amount of time spent running predominantly, which is my strength in triathlon. And so when you undercut your strength in this space, it can also lead to some hesitation in wanting to proceed. In any case... The water has been spectacular this year. The local half Ironman triathlon has gotten rave reviews and is on my radar for potential. I found out the national championships for the USA triathlon age group are back in Milwaukee, my favorite all-time racing venue. They were there this year, but I found out literally on the day that they were happening. But next year, they're there again. So that opened up and the person with whom I have been training and offering training and coaching support, was interested in completing his first ever triathlon. And I thought, well, it'd be something to venture, and we would just do this independently outside of an actual race, and why not? One of my most favorite events in the past was a Muskegon to Holland point-to-point triathlon with my dear friend and colleague, and that was one of the most fun events. You're still covering the same distance, but outside of that land of rules, regulations, expectations, big transition zones, and it just allows you to remember that swimming, biking, and running is the point, right? I'm all for competition, absolutely. And at the same time, distilling it down to the basics can be fantastic. And so as schedules and time and training and opportunities would have it yesterday, and I'm recording this on the 7th of October, so Wednesday, the 6th of October, presented itself as the opening, both in schedule and in weather, for this to take place. And we have been very fortunate. And we can look at this from the challenging perspective of why is the water still so warm this far into October, this far north. And certainly there can be some problematic reasons for that. And at the same time, it is still as warm as as it is at this point. And so we can also embrace it at this moment in time. And so we set out for this race yesterday and we had some flexibility in our timing. So we scooted it back a bit to the sunnier part of the day because while the water is warmer, it's not necessarily warm. And when you emerge from the water into an overcast and cool day and get on a bike when you're wet, it can be quite chilly. 
And so there was a window where the sun was coming out and the temperature was increasing to a very pleasant and a low 70 degrees to get on the bike. And so we did. So we set out and we had this literally roadside stop where we set everything up and we began. And I'll say that prior to this, I wasn't sure what my performance would be. I haven't done triathlon specific training. You know, I've swum every day. I have swam. I swum. Why is that one so tricky? Daily, various distances. So absolutely, I know I could make it. But as I've watched my times on my various watch devices, they've actually been quite a bit slower than what I used to race. And my purpose was never in swimming fast, even in triathlons, to be honest. Swimming fast was never the goal. It was swimming fast enough to be in the mix, to not get kicked, right? When you're in with a crowd of people, and getting to the bike with lots and lots of energy still remaining. And the swim yesterday went quite well. Again, the water was perfect. And we had the great support of our spouses on paddle boards guiding us. There was no other traffic, right? There were no other people with whom you had to contend in the race. And I made it out way faster, right? Like 20 plus seconds faster per 100 yards than I had been swing. And who knows, on the day you put race in the cards, it shifts. And the tra- transition was quite brief because it was just right there. And I set out on the bike. And again, this year I biked some. I actually got my triathlon bike back out for the first time. I had been debating even whether or not I should keep it. But with Milwaukee on the horizon, I thought, well, like let's not make the hasty decision now. And the bike can be a strong suit for me. I'm pretty good at climbing and flats. I really don't like descending. I, I will not just go and get max speed on the descent. I like to feel much more like I'm in control of that piece. And so I I didn't know, right? I had an idea of how fast I had ridden previously. And really my goal is always to come out of the bike, ideally without any major mishaps, including flat tires, right? And I've had many of them in races in the past, really all of them in one race, which was enough being my second ever race to really give me some concern around that. So that's usually my main goal. That's the A goal is going to make it out without a flat tire, which I can't even control. But if that happens, I count it as a success. And then whatever happens on the pacing, you know, I, I will offer up as a bonus. And so it was working pretty well. I was feeling good. Again, the weather was beautiful. There was not even any sense of being too cold on the bike. I was able to fuel on the bike. And for the first 30 kilometers, three quarters of the race, I maintained the lead on my colleague that I had established, which I was quite pleased with because he's an excellent cyclist. And it was a pretty hilly course, meaning there was about a two mile descent at one point. And when you're on an out and back, if you were descending for two miles, you can't help but think I'm going to pay for this in a moment when I turn around, but I actually would prefer to climb than to descend. So I can embrace both options there. So we made the turn and I was able to at least keep the distance, right? So when he made the pass, the rule for me in racing is to keep it close enough, to keep it close enough so you have a chance on the run. And so if someone does go past you, right, maintaining distance and you can't get too close, drafting is illegal in the races that I do in triathlon, but to maintain where you can see you're going across points at the same time. So we came in to that second transition, hit a bit of a shoe debacle, And that one was the shortest transition I've ever had, I think, in triathlon because I simply dumped my bike, took off my helmet, and switched my shoes. That was it. Off you go to the run. And the last couple weekends, I have run progressively longer 
in association with the different events my kids have been doing, but feeling relatively sluggish, right? Looking at the pace and again, thinking, what is happening? You know, I run faster than this and I feel like I'm running faster than this, but I'm not moving as fast as I think that I am or should be or could be. And I hit that first half mile, mile, and without fail, coming off the bike, I always run much faster than I think I am, number one, and that I could, number two. And so I was holding a pretty decent pace and feeling pretty good. And so I just tuned in and tuned into myself and didn't think about past times or expectations and simply just was present in the run. And it was simply an out and back. And there was a little bit of rolling hills. There was some sun and some shade. It was quite lovely and made the turn. I was able to greet my training partner and racing competitor out on the course and had that reliably slow fourth mile. So if you ever run 10Ks, right, there can be that lull in the fourth mile because you have that opening 5K and you're feeling good and then you turn. And not only is that heel you have to climb back up, but you know, right, you still have as much to go as you have already gone. And once you can get over that, right, there can be that sense of, okay, two to go. And so many different race mantras and self-support came through. So I got to the end and finished and saw my time and thought, it seems pretty close to some of my racing times. Granted, right, the transitions were very short here. Many times in a large race, you have to run for a long ways to put your bike away and to get your bike back out. And that counts, right? The clock is running the whole time. And so while you might swim, bike, and run faster in certain places, time can be consumed in transition. And we could talk whole episodes about that, (laughs) independent of triathlon. And I looked to see at that Milwaukee race, my most favorite venue, back in 2015, which was the peak of my career. And the time was within a minute. And each of my disciplines was a bit slower, the run most of all, which again, wasn't surprising to me, but was not as slow as it could have been based on recent running. And what I thought about too, was that it was just so much fun. I can genuinely say the whole thing, point to point, was enjoyable, right? And I was grateful that I felt as good as I did because there are lots of opportunities over those, what are we at? 40K plus 10K plus 1.5, 51.5K of movement for things not to feel great. And we were fortunate with the day, with the support, with the time that we had, with the traffic being light, with the water being lovely, with all the mechanics of the race going well. And I loved today seeing the comment from my friend's wife who had been taking our pictures along the course and supporting us on the water, saying that it was great to witness and to see the positive attitude throughout. And I thought about that too. I thought this was totally a hell yes. And I mentioned earlier on that there might've been a moment where I thought, oh, do I actually want to do this? Right. And that came through because I didn't know how I would perform. I was afraid I would be way behind, right? And everybody have to be waiting for me out there. I pictured, right, the flat tires happening because it's happened before. And then having to compare it to all those other previous results. And what I can say is, well, absolutely. When I finished, I was able to reflect and compare. And it didn't feel like in a lost way. It was just to see what is the difference between then and now. There was no judgment involved. But I can say that during, there really was no 
judgment or comparison happening in the moment. There was simply the act of swimming and biking and running. And on the bike, I didn't even watch my pace. I could hear a beep every five miles just to simply know where I was and to choose to refuel, but I didn't watch time or pace. I just trusted what my body was doing and embraced it. And so seeing that and seeing the yes there, what was it a no to? I would think saying yes very wholeheartedly to that race was a no to the judgment and the comparison in that time. And saying yes to bringing through triathlon may be a no to some heavier lifting in future training, perhaps. But what I see is the yes can be to the thing, to the activity, and a no to another thing or activity. And it's also a yes to the way in which we're showing up in the activity, in the engagement, in the relationship, and a no to a different way of engaging. And that can also mean, right, if we're saying yes, right, to wholehearted, joyful engagement, we're saying no to the hesitation and the lament and the regret that can be up. And the opposite can be true as well. For saying yes with hesitation and some remorse and some have to shouldness involved, we're saying no to that possibility of engaging with a resolute, wholehearted, joyful experience. And so as we reflect on what the possibilities are, what we would like the possibilities to be, let's investigate what is it we're saying yes to, what no's are emerging, how can those actually be brilliant blessings for us in that space, and how to is the way in which we are saying yes or no, shifting the power and the capacity for the joy, the ease that we can have in any experience. I'd love to hear from you what yeses and noes are happening for you. And I thank you as always for joining me, for tuning in. Please visit me at This Osteopathic Life to learn more about upcoming programs. And as always, this is Dr. Amelia Beakey with This Osteopathic Life. Thank you for listening.